Welcome to the RHA podcast. My name is Richard Triggs, and today's guest is Dr. Donna Pendergast, Dean and Head of the School of Education and Professional Studies at Griffith University, and Chair of the Queensland Educational Leadership Institute. It's wonderful to have you along today. I thoroughly enjoyed my conversation with Donna, who I'd not met before, but I had the opportunity to visit her at her office at the Griffith University Mount Gravatt campus and have a talk to her about her career as an academic and more recently moving into the role of chair with Quelly. But before I introduce Donna to you properly, let me introduce myself for those who are new to the Arate podcast. My name is Richard Triggs and I'm the managing partner of Arate Executive and we recruit CEOs, senior leaders and non-executive directors for our clients throughout Australia. So if you have any vacancies in your team, then I would welcome the opportunity to talk to you. We also provide a range of career coaching and advocacy solutions for senior executives and non-executive directors looking for their next career opportunity. So if you're currently in the market, I'd welcome the opportunity to talk to you about how we can assist you in order to accelerate your own job search to job of choice with employer of choice as quickly as possible. Let me now introduce to you Donna. Dr. Donna Pendergast is the Dean and Head of the School of Education and Professional Studies at Griffith University in southeast Queensland. She is also the chair of the Queensland Educational Leadership Institute. Quelly is dedicated to helping school leaders reach their true potential through providing tailored quality research-based programs to suit individual school community and sector needs. Donna has a Bachelor of Applied Science and a graduate diploma in teaching she also holds a Master's of Education and a Doctor of Philosophy. Sit back and enjoy this conversation with Donna Pendergast. Well, Donna, welcome to the RHA podcast. Fantastic to have you along today. We're sitting out at your uh, office on the Griffith University campus, and I understand that you've just returned from a speaking engagement in Jamaica. I have, Richard. Thank you, and uh, it's lovely to be chatting this afternoon. So that was uh, a trip to Jamaica to work with the Caribbean Association of Home Economics Teachers. Okay. And uh, specifically, I worked with the um, at Montego Bay, which was very exciting. Great song. Absolutely. And uh, so we looked at sustainable development goals okay. and the role of the teachers there in contributing to some of those goals, particularly the education goals and the food goals. Okay. So it was it was a great adventure as well as being an incredible learning experience for me. Oh, fantastic! And uh, yeah, I hope that the the folk in Jamaica also learned something. Oh, good! And how long were you there for? Just a week. And but what was, it was the weather like while you were there? The weather was perfect. Uh huh. Um, I'd thoroughly recommend if you have a chance to go there right. to do so. Um, it, it's really an interesting place in terms of colonialisation. Right. Um, you know, there's there's a strong colonial influence still in place there. 
And so uh, I, I had some conversations with people from the Ministry of Education mm -hmm. and it was interesting to reflect back uh, to some of our development mm. here in Queensland. And, and was uh, it really apparent uh, the disparity between where education was like here and in Jamaica or were there a lot of similarities? There were probably more similarities than differences, mm -hmm. but there were some areas where I could see immediately um, where we had, as a collective in Australia, developed some educational strategies and some approaches that had um, a more holistic approach. Okay. And so I think that there's always something that we can offer each other. Right. And so it certainly offered me some insights mm -hmm. and, and I was able to share some insights there as well. Fantastic. And so do you participate in those kind of conferences regularly? I do. Right. Um, so I'm where's very fortunate. Another, where's uh, the next exotic <laughs> destination? Well, the next destination is uh, in the Philippines. Okay. And again, that's a keynote. Right. And uh, it will be looking at um, the Sustainable Development Goals again. Uh -huh and looking at literacy associated with that. So, okay. um, yeah, very interesting. Always within the context of home economics or more broadly than that? For me, it's mostly around home right. economics because my first degree mm -hmm. was a Bachelor of Applied Science in home economics mm -hmm. and I was a home economics teacher, home mm -hmm. economics and science. Right. So um, I had quite a few years um, teaching in science labs okay. and teaching in home economics classrooms. and. Uh, teachers in education have such a vital role mm -hmm. to play um, in so many domains and that's continued to give me a foundation for the work that I do. Mm -hmm. um, so yes, my professional associations are broad education and teacher education right. and home economics. And I suppose, not to segue too far in this conversation, we'll be talking for hours, but it must be quite fascinating within the context of home economics to look at the awareness of diet and particularly the importance of teaching children you know good habits in relation to that area that must have changed unbelievably in the time that you've been in that space it has richard and it's one of my um, pet uh, priorities if you like uh -huh. around education and and i'm really concerned that we provide young people with an education that gives them capabilities throughout mm -hmm. their life mm -hmm. uh, because our knowledge about food and nutrition and about exercise and activity mm. is growing um, and we need to be able to engage with that knowledge base. So having that foundation, it mightn't be called home economics, it, it might be called a study of food and nutrition or it might be just food or technology, whatever the, um, the name, that it should have those capabilities around literacy mm -hmm. associated with food. So mm -hmm. having a food literate approach is mm. really crucial. Well, it seems that there's a, a much greater emphasis now on educating adults and kids around food. And, you know, Jamie, uh, what's his Jamie name? Jamie Oliver. Jamie Oliver and all the words <laughs> he's done in schools and so on. It's quite an exciting space. So why don't you tell us now uh, about your current professional responsibilities? Okay, so my primary role is as Dean and Head of School at mm -hmm. uh, Griffith University in the School of Education and mm -hmm. Professional Studies. So in that capacity, this is my um, seventh year in that particular role. And so we have a team of staff here, about uh, 80 academic staff and a team of professional staff. We work with about two and a half thousand students every year. Mm -hmm. And we deliver initial teacher education and other education related programs. Mm -hmm. um, so very strong focus on teaching and teachers work. Uh, and we conduct research. We're very active in the research uh, area of, um, of teaching and education. Okay. So that's my um, 
primary role. And all here on this campus or more no, spread out? No, no. So Griffith University has five campuses and we're located in three. So okay. we're here, here at Malkavat, yep. um, at the Logan campus mm -hmm. and at the Gold Coast campus. Right. okay. Yeah, very big footprint at the Gold Coast as well. Right. Fantastic. And uh, you were just about to say you've got some other things happening in I the do. professional world. So um, I'm also chair of the of Quelly, which is the Queensland Educational Leadership Institute, and that's yep. a, a new role for me. Mm -hmm. um, being the, the board chair there is very exciting. It's, How new? Um, well, how new since the, the very end of last year. So right. it's only a couple of months. Uh, my previous board experience has been um, on an independent school, and mm -hmm. that's quite different. You know, quite focused role as a okay. board chair, and I'm, yep. I currently retain that role. Which school but is that? This is Yarran Lee School, okay. which is actually based on the uh, campus here at Mount Cravat. Oh right! So it's a fantastic little one-teacher school. Okay. And uh, so that was that's very exciting to be a board member there. Sure. So Quelly is um, is my current you know really interesting role as chair there. Right. And I'm enjoying that very much, and uh, it certainly opened the doors to some some new kind of ways of thinking around leadership for me. Okay. And the work that's going on there is very progressive. Mm -hmm. It's uh, it's very inspirational, and mm -hmm. it, it has a lot of promise for okay. for our educators in Queensland and so, Australia. Right. So for those people who are unfamiliar with Quelly, mm. uh, tell us about the business and and what its mandate is. Mm. Well, Quelly's aim is to provide um, the kind of uh, capability development that's necessary for effective leadership mm -hmm. around teachers, um, school leaders and the education profession. Mm -hmm. And so those capabilities um, range from in-classroom pedagogic leadership, so around teaching and learning, to you know, very much at the high levels of school principal leadership and, mm -hmm. and so on. Okay. And potentially, um, Quelly could move into education in a broader kind of um, sphere as well. So it might not be in schools and related to teachers and school leadership, but might be education in other fields. So okay. that's a potential because we're you know leadership as a field mm -hmm. is such a critical um, element sure. to the success of so many businesses mm -hmm. and so many commercial enterprises. Mm -hmm. So the um, the opportunities are there for Quelly to to expand and and to you know increase its impact. Okay, and the Q in Quelly stands for Queensland. It does stand for Queensland. Okay. So this is a Queensland initiative. Are there equivalent organisations uh, in the other states Look, of Australia? Look, I would say not really. There are other organisations that do parts of the same work, mm -hmm. but not exactly the same work. Okay. And, uh, and Quelly has been um, offering national uh, work opportunities as well, and is also interested to go um, international. So, you know, looking at the, the um, Asian region and, right. and the Pacific and so forth. So the possibilities there could be quite significant again in the long term. At the moment, the majority of work happens in Queensland. Uh -huh. and certainly, it was built in Queensland. Okay, but there's obviously a uh, a chair in the role prior to you. Absolutely. Okay, and so how yeah. did that role come up on your radar? Um, I was invited along to participate in in um, Quelly's conversations around um, participating on the board uh, as a direct result of work in the professional learning hub. Mm -hmm. Now Griffith University last year, of the last couple of years, has built what we call our professional learning hub and mm -hmm. it's the kind of professional learning that we offer um, through our expertise. So, okay. so we have a whole series of folk with expertise mm -hmm. here 
Um, and so I've got a really significant interest in ensuring that um, we offer um, that expertise widely. And so my interest in that area has been noted mm-hmm. by Quelly. Okay. And so they uh, said, look, maybe you should be thinking about assisting us here as well and working as a team. Right. And uh, I'm a great believer in collaboration and in um, looking at ways in which we can optimise outcomes. So to me, that was a great opportunity to work collaboratively. And are you enjoying uh, the role of chair of an organisation like that? I am, I am, and it's uh, as chair, it is um, certainly you recognise that it's a set of responsibilities that you, as a board member you don't necessarily mm-hmm. have to engage with, you know, quite in such a, a, a pointed way. But as chair, the responsibilities do sit with you, mm-hmm. and um, I've, I'm, I'm actually enjoying that role. Right. I, 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 um, as dean of the head of school of ed- and head of school of education professional studies. Um, I'm used to taking responsibility, mm-hmm. and so I do have a sense of of um, understanding what mm-hmm. that role is mm-hmm. and, and enjoy it. I sure. enjoy the challenge. Oh, good. Well, well, hopefully we'll talk a bit more about that later in this conversation. Sure. But let's, uh, as I always do, go back to where it all began and tell <laughs> us a little bit about where you were born and, you know, early life, mum, dad, brothers and sisters and so on. Okay. So I was born in Chinchilla, which is okay. southwest Queensland, mm-hmm. um, and... Grew up really substantially in Charleville, so right. did my uh, upper end of primary school and secondary school in Charleville. Mm-hmm. I do have an older sister, a year older, and a brother two years younger. Okay. So my father was a shearer in okay. the shearing sheds, um, and so he was, um, during the week, he was off at shearing sheds dotted all around Charleville, mm-hmm. and in those days... You know, as you still do now, as a shearer, you go to the shearing shed, mm-hmm. and you might be there for a month, or you might yeah. be there for six weeks while the the wool clips happening. And so, would he come home during that period, or he'd be away for that long at a? Stitch? He would try to come home most weekends, okay. and so he'd arrive home sometimes Friday night midnight, mm-hmm. and he'd leave on Sunday lunchtime. Right. But you know, it was always fabulous. And then we'd have him for blocks. You know, if it. We always look forward to when it would rain because mm-hmm. we'd know he'd be home and the roads would be washed out for okay. a little while. So we might have him for a week or two, which was always great, you know, to have him around. So inevitably the wet was appealing to us as kids because right. we'd have Dad home. But, um, yeah, so he um, worked. It was very hard work. I mean, being a shearer, sure. it's, it's hard labour. And uh, so Mum was... Um, very much focused on our education and mm-hmm. always had a belief that education provided transform- transformative opportunities. Mm-hmm. So it was transformational. So and were you homeschooled or were you going? No, no, no. We went to the local high school, the local pr- primary school in Charleville. Mm-hmm. And mum uh, uh, used to work at the school? Or? No, no, no. Okay. Mum looked after us. That was right. her role. Okay. And, uh, and did a great job. And so... She instilled in us and Dad together um, the value of education. And mm-hmm. so every day at school for us, we really focused on getting the best out of our learning. And, mm-hmm. and all three of us had that approach to education. Right. And uh, so, you know, it, it was um, for us, school was the potential to mm-hmm. do whatever we wanted to do. And so we were first in family. And Mum is the youngest of 10 children. So... Mm-hmm. We were the first of her whole family to go to university, for example. Wow. Um, so real, you know, 
pioneers in that sense. And my sister is uh, a barrister in Queensland. Okay. And my brother's a, a pilot, so uh, right. in Qantas. And so we've all achieved, um, mm-hmm. you know, quite highly in our chosen fields. And it was okay. very much those values around education that, that, it, that enabled us to do mm-hmm. that. And at what age do you think you came to the decision that you were keen to be a teacher? I guess growing up in a town like Charleville um, and we were so educationally focused, to me the role models that were around me were teachers. Mm -hmm. And so um, I aspired to be a teacher probably from quite a young age. I was probably still in primary school, Mm -hmm. upper primary school. And certainly when I was in high school, I was it was absolutely clear in my mind that I wanted to be a high school teacher. Mm-hmm. So um, I, had, I was surrounded by effective role models. One of the real benefits of growing up in a small country town is that you have um, very young teachers mm-hmm. appointed to the school. And because of our remoteness there in Charleville, they'd only have to come and work there for two to three right. years and complete their country service. Mm-hmm. So we were meeting young teachers all the time who were highly energised, they loved their job, um, they were bringing new ideas all the time. So growing up in a country town is a real asset as a student. Mm -hmm. You get to see, in many ways, the best teachers. Now, experience adds other dimensions, but as a a student in those classrooms, we were getting to see energy. Mm -hmm. And so for me, that was what appeal to me. Okay. Yeah. And so when you did your university studies, did you do that here in Brisbane? I did. And so I was a a QUT graduate Mm -hmm. and actually completed a Bachelor of Applied Science Mm -hmm. and uh, with a specialisation in home economics, very strong food technology focus, so food science, Mm -hmm. biochemistry, etc. And then I did a graduate diploma of teaching secondary and became um, a science and okay. home economics teacher. And did you have any part-time jobs or anything like that on the way through? Always. Right. I always <laughs> had part-time jobs. So from packing spuds, I worked in a fruit and veggie shop. Right. Um, I worked in a chemist shop as a you know retail. Um, and when I was at university, I worked in a deli. So it was all kind of retail focused. Right. Okay. Um, But they were the sorts of jobs that, you know, they help you hone your interpersonal communication Mm -hmm. skills and give you those, I guess, capabilities to interact with a range of people in different ways. Mm -hmm. And it gave me money because all this time Dad was still working as Mm -hmm. as a shearer. By then he'd um, moved into overseeing, which is running the shearing sheds, but still, you know, not not high paid Mm. uh, and not regular so there'd be weeks without income and so forth. Mm. So we were certainly of the generation where we didn't pay hex fees. Mm-hmm. We benefited from that, but it also meant that we had to be high achievers. Mm-hmm. And so when you finished your uh, university qualifications, what happened then? So I was appointed to Rosewood State High School and uh, worked in Rosewood uh, High School for a couple of years and then moved to Tagulawa, mm-hmm. so on a transfer system. And uh, loved every minute of it. Absolutely adored working in those schools. They were both small schools. They're not anymore. They're both actually quite large schools. But they were actually secondary department at at Tagulawa, so up to year 10. So I taught from primary to year 10. Um, And at Rosewood, we actually taught. uh, We had to travel by bus. We'd grab our students and travel by bus down to the primary school to access facilities. So those communities have both grown and changed so much now. But... 
for me as an induction into the teaching profession, um, they were exciting and they were places that had small community feel about them. And so, so you were was... one of those young teachers doing your country service Absolutely. with lots of innovation and energy. That's it, that's okay. it. So yes, full circle there. Right. And, uh, and then uh, there was an opportunity in the senior college system and that, that uh, opportunity to start off a new senior college at, at Alexandra Hills. And so I put my hand up for that. You mean start a new school, essentially? Start a new school. Wow. So, yeah, I started a new school and I was a foundation staff member there. Mm-hmm. And that was very exciting because it was a combination between TAFE and Year 11 and 12. Okay. And so it had a, a very dynamic um, kind of feel to it. It was mm-hmm. a, a pilot school. Quite um, innovative for Very the innovative for mm-hmm. the time. Still innovative in, mm-hmm. in the sense that you know, the, the bringing together of the TAFE qualifications and, and school um, qualifications is always a real asset. It's become more mainstreamed now, but that was the start of the first wave mm-hmm. and uh, worked there for a couple of years and was actually invited to join the academic team at QUT, mm-hmm. um, working in the field of home economics as, a, as an academic there. So... so uh, educating the students doing their uh, education qualifications. That's it, right. that's it. So was that was that very exciting. Was that something you had an early appetite for or did you foresee it earlier in your teaching career that you would be based in a school pretty much uh, forever? When I went to university, um, the mentors around me were those academics. Um, mm-hmm. I was very uh, inspired by them and they across all of the education areas. And um, I looked to those people as a possible future career path for myself. So Mm -hmm. I was very, very much motivated by the academy while I was there. And it was the next step. You know, I could see that this was an aspiration for me. So my goal was to become um, a university academic. And I had a a target of age 35. So you'd chosen that back when you were doing your undergraduate? Absolutely. When I was at uni, I was was quite young at Mm -hmm. university. I'd just turned 17. Mm -hmm. So um, while I was in my first year of uni, I was 17 that entire year. My birthday is at the end of the year. So by 19, I'd graduated from my degree and I was enrolled in my graduate diploma. Mm-hmm. So I was quite young out in the field. And uh, yeah, I'd set 35 as my target to be in universities. And Was, was that because you thought that it would take that long for you to develop the, uh, the experience and uh, sufficient professional awareness to be able to make that step. Correct, right. yeah, so okay. that was my timeline. And uh, in fact, I was there at 25. Okay. So I, I managed to, just, just by, by opportunity, mm-hmm. and taking a bit of a risk at the time because I was backfilling for somebody who was off on leave. And I thought, look, yeah, this is for me. Mm-hmm. As soon as I tasted it, that was, that was where I wanted to be. Right. So that was very exciting. And how did you find the... Uh, transition from teaching smaller children to teaching university students who are suddenly set free on the world and have got lots of competing priorities for their studies? You know what? It's that circle again. So it was almost like me being in the university, still young, so Mm -hmm. I was just 25. Mm -hmm. Um, Suddenly, I was the young person energising again in the space, you know, with with people who were not that much younger than me. So I think I was seen, and my students, you know, graduates from those days, still keep in touch with me, and 
they they do remind me that right. that I was energising. You were the cool uh, lecturer. I was, I was the cool lecturer. <laughs> so yeah, and it, and it was it's funny how these things work, and you do see cycles happening in your life, and that was certainly a cycle for me. And um, I guess what I've done though is I've hung around since then. Sure. You know, and, well, you were uh, there for about ten years. Yeah. At QUT, that's it. That's and it. And doing your PhD at the same time. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah, and that were they were good years. Yeah. And, uh, and then moved over to uh, University of Queensland mm-hmm. and spent almost another decade there. So, and now I've been at, at Griffith. So those years have gone incredibly quickly because right. in the space of the work that, that's occurred there, mm-hmm. um, been involved in really um, several very major mm-hmm. research projects um, and initiatives around change and reform. Mm. And, and of course, completed masters and doctoral studies. So. Uh, when you're doing all of those things, uh, it certainly keeps you busy. Oh, absolutely. My uh, my father was a professor okay. of uh, pharmacy and he headed the pharmacy department at UQ for 20 years. Excellent. But he was English and had to move all around the world in order to get the slight uplift in qualification and uh, uh, whereas you've done it all whilst remaining in, in southeast Queensland, which I have. is quite remarkable. Mm. So uh, was that a deliberate decision on your part? You wanted to stay here or had you been open to moving elsewhere if the opportunity arose? I've had opportunities mm-hmm. to go other places, but um, at this um, point in time, I've, I've always made the choice to stay in southeast Queensland. Mm-hmm. Education is quite um, contextualised. And I believe that I can make the greatest contribution in Queensland at this point in my career and mm-hmm. up till now, I okay. felt that way. Um, I'm currently the chairperson of the Queensland Council of Deans of Education. Mm-hmm. So I represent our Queensland deans on the national board. And that also uh, enables me to work um, in policy spaces around um, initiatives and research and, and decision making associated mm-hmm. with all of the deans of Queensland. So um, I, I think that um, moving around internationally can benefit you as an individual, but I've had a bit more of a focus on benefiting education. Mm-hmm. I've really thought that, that that could be a way that I could make a, a bit of a legacy mm-hmm. in terms of building um, those sorts of networks. Okay. Mm. And so um, 10 years at QUT, mm. why the move to UQ? Opportunity, uh-huh. again. And so... Um, there was an opportunity to work there with a particular person and um, a group of people, actually. And it was also around my PhD, which um, investigated... It looked at feminist post-structural theory. Mm-hmm. And I was investigating the ways in which our predominantly patriarchal society actually marginalises fields of study, such as home economics, mm-hmm. and how historically it's been aligned with women's work. Mm-hmm. And so the ways in which that has, I guess, led to um, that field's demise over time. And yet the, a lot of what the work that happens in there has been of great value to society in general. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, our conversation started talking about the sustainable development goals and food mm. and, okay. you know, so those things still pull through. Right. And, and so I'm a great advocate for the richness in okay. that field and so the value So let me, let me try and uh, make sure I understand that from the position of a non-PhD bloke. <laughs> so... Uh, because home economics was seen more as women's work, yes, a education uh, environment which was largely male dominated uh, undervalued the qualification. 
Mm. And so your work was about, well, how do we re-energise and mm. make more relevant and bring equality to this particular discipline yeah. of study? Yeah, and how do we, right. how do we understand it? How right. do we use that as a framework to understand? Because um, fields that are marginalised, whatever it might mm. be, tend to hit their head against the wall all the time and saying nobody understands me. Mm-hmm. So it's a it's a way of understanding so you don't get caught in that cycle of just, you know, being constantly in a negative space. How do how do you build the um, awareness of home economics mm. so that people don't just dismiss it as That's you know, right. women learning how to cook. That's right. Got it. And okay. so now, uh, and currently there's a new syllabus being developed, for example, okay. in Queensland, and I'm, I'm one of their members directing right. that, and it's a food and nutrition syllabus. Oh, and that's fantastic. So it's all of the assets, all of those positive things mm-hmm. around food literacy, okay. but it's being framed up so it's no longer gendered. Right. Mm. I uh, interviewed Tracy Vieira, who's the CEO of Screen Queensland, mm-hmm. which is the government GOC that brings the film industry to Queensland and uh, she's a uh, very um, proud and strong advocate for women in film and and uh, she said for example you know you watch the movie Finding Nemo mm. in the entire movie there's only one female character which is Dory, Dory. and Dory's not very smart <laughs> and uh, yeah so it's it's interesting to you know we operate in this world and we do our jobs and we have our interests and so on without really sort of thinking about these things. Yes. When you start to think about them, it's a real issue, isn't it? It certainly is. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And so there was a particular team sort of working around that space at, U- at UQ that you felt were mm. more uh, supportive and uh, yeah, of the work yeah. that you were doing. Yeah. Got it. And, and that kind of opened the doors then to me moving into an area of, of education that has become probably my main work, mm-hmm. um, apart from the, the home economics, which continues to be in my professional work field, but uh, around junior secondary learners. So working with young adolescents. And so whilst my work around knowledge and learning has been you know, in that home economics field, what I've really focused on in the last 15 years or so is around young adolescent learning and how they learn most effectively, mm-hmm. what curriculum is best, how do we deliver that so the pedagogy is mm-hmm. around young adolescent learners. Mm. And so that opportunity um, was available to me at UQ okay. and set up some foundation programs there around middle years education. Right. And uh, so that's really um, where some of my uh, research with high impact mm-hmm. has been in those okay. spaces. And. Do you foresee, I mean, there's been tremendous transformation in terms of education. Uh, my son, who's nine, has got his first laptop that he has to carry to school every day and so on. So the technology has made a, a tremendous uh, difference to the way that children are being educated. But are there other substantive changes around the corner that you're excited sure. to see happen? Yes. What sort of things? Well, look, my sense is that there's... It's taken a while for for a real understanding that we, we need to educate young people for a very different world. Now, we mm-hmm. say it and we talk about it all the time, but I think that there are clear actions now about what do we do about that. Okay. And um, evidence, you know, that your, your nine-year-old's doing that kind of, um, you know, lap, taking his laptop along to school and, and using that technology as a regular kind of occurrence is is a bit of an indicator to that but it's also recognizing that you know by the year 2030 the the world's going to be quite different to Mm -hmm. what it is now and working backwards thinking well what do we need for that world so 
what are the general capabilities or what are the strengths that we need young people to have? And it's things like having the capacity to be a lifelong learner. Mm -hmm. It's about resilience and being able to cope with change uh, consistently and, you know, with style. Mm -hmm. um, it's about being not necessarily a computer coder, mm -hmm. but, but understanding that so that you can do something with that knowledge in order to be entrepreneurial. Mm -hmm. And that's the next area is entrepreneurship and creativity. Mm -hmm. So there's some of the really big skills that we know are essential and we tend to focus on literacy and numeracy which of course underpin all of those things so um, I think so, there's some of the key things that we need to know and be able to do and we need to know and be able to work with people so be collaborative and have the capacity to work in groups and teams with mixed strengths so people bringing something special to the table how do we work with that mm -hmm. to optimize and pro solve problems and so mm -hmm. forth so education, I think, is, is really, we've been responsive to that, mm -hmm. but it's always challenging to, to shift a whole system mm -hmm. and to, to make huge reforms. Mm. Um, There's a really fascinating film, a little short 15-minute film on YouTube called The Future of Work. I'm not mm -hmm. sure if you've seen that. One of the things they talk about is that when we, uh, it's predominantly around robotics versus artificial intelligence, but when much more uh, automation came into the farming industry, unskilled labour was able to move to the cities and work in factories. Mm -hmm. And then when automation came into the manufacturing industry, that unskilled labour was fairly easily able to move across into junior administration roles and things like being mm. a barista and making coffee and so on. But when uh, new technology and automation basically takes out those industries, mm -hmm. then where do these people go and mm -hmm. work? You know, there's prediction that the US unemployment could get to 45%. Mm -hmm. So, you know, again, my son being my only sort of immediate mm -hmm. example, in the school holidays just recently, he did a coding course for three days and learned how to make a game app for, you know... Fantastic. Um, so it's, yeah, it's going to be... Um, I can't wait to see what things look like you know by the time he graduates but at the same time you know it's pretty scary and people really need to get on the front foot about it yes. don't they? Yes indeed and not to be frightened of it I think that and that's those resilience capabilities so it this is it, it really is a changing world that that these young people who are in schools right now are going to be entering into mm -hmm. and so not being frightened of that but mm -hmm. to embrace it and to look at that as a positive space um, and, you know, our job as older people, you know, the parents and the, the, the academics and, and the business owners and all of those is to actually enable people mm -hmm. to, I guess, enter and be inducted into that world and to not frighten young people. Mm -hmm. Because it's it's just different. It's, well, it you know, it's, just is what it is. It, it is what it no is. It, so. That's right. So Okay. And so talk to me now... Um, in 2009, you stepped into this role as head of school, mm. and you know, from a, thinking about it from a commercial point of view, you're now moving into a role which is much more than just purely being an educator. It's mm. all around a whole heap of you know, commercial elements of being a, almost a business person. At that point, in terms of looking internally at your own skill set and saying, "Have I got what it takes to do this job?" What were some of the areas that you identified and you thought, "Well, I'm going to consciously work on improving these." Mm. That's a really good question and, and I'd had some um, opportunities when I was at the University of Queensland to develop some capabilities so mm -hmm. they were very much focused on women in leadership mm -hmm. programs so I had some generic kind of um, opportunities there So when, and I had program leadership responsibilities and team leadership so I developed some capabilities um, in, in the, those years. 
So when I came to Griffith, in the, in, I started as in a leadership role. Um, I believe that uh, the strengths that I needed to build at that time were uh, around um, facilitating people optimising their capabilities, mm -hmm. for want of a better word. So how do I bring out the best in people around me? And we had also gone through a major change in the structure of the, the school here at Griffith University, moving from separate schools to one whole school, mm -hmm. and I was the leader of that whole school. So developing capabilities in my immediate leadership team. So I needed to work out, well, how do I do that? And so I was in, I've been involved in a number of women in leadership programs, mm -hmm. um, both here at the university and externally to the mm -hmm. university, but certainly facilitated by the university. And so those have been um, incredible, actually, mm -hmm. in terms of providing you with time to think and to develop specific stra strategies and capabilities. Mm -hmm. um, I also um, see communication as being crucial. And so my communication skills are constantly something that I, I try to work on okay. and enhance at all times. Formally or just more on an informal basis? More on an informal basis. Okay. Um, I've also had a mentor uh, relationship mm -hmm. and that, that mentor relationship has changed. I've had different mentors at different times because I also think that you need different people at different times mm -hmm. to, to mentor you in specific areas. Mm -hmm. um, I've also um, been very much appreciative of the capabilities of others. So recognising that I have limitations, but other people around me have incredible strengths. And so working on a strengths-based approach mm -hmm. to leadership. So that my role is really to facilitate leadership and to bring leadership in certain areas, but to facilitate a strengths-based approach so mm -hmm. that collectively, we have a strong leadership team. And, and have you done that through working to frameworks you learnt in your women in leadership uh, uh, coursework or are these things that you've developed intuitively yourself or something else? Combination. Okay. Yeah, I'd say a combination and inspired by other people, mm -hmm. you know, asking questions, being prepared to ask questions of other leaders. Mm -hmm. And we part of our program here at the university is that we can be mentored with high-level leaders of the universities, so okay. deputy, vice-chancellors, mm -hmm. etc., and having conversations with those people about how they go about making decisions, mm -hmm. um, how they manage big tasks, one-on-one um, -on -one conversations, you know, that are really pointy-end around specific things have really benefited me. Mm -hmm. So it's not generic and vanilla. It's actually really specific to my needs. Mm -hmm. Um, those have been the most useful kind of, um, I guess, coaching is, is a classic example of that. So we had a coaching program. Um, the coaching program I then facilitated for my leadership team. And that coaching is one-on-one -on -one mm -hmm. where conversations were really pointed around, this is the specific thing that I want to talk to you about and bounce ideas. Sure. And so I found the coaching as, okay. as a really good example of that. Okay. Yeah. And so uh, stepping into your most recent role, January 2011, mm. uh, Dean and Head of School, mm. if you think over that period of about five or six mm. years now, what are some of the things that you're most proud of uh, that you've been able to achieve with your team here in, in that time? Mm. 
I'm really proud of the fact that we've come together as one school. Mm -hmm. So we were disparate um, units that were really almost um, operating in competition to each other. Okay. So the Gold Coast-based um, footprint were really competing against the Logan and Brisbane uh, mm -hmm. footprint. So we're offering the same programs, separate financial accountability, um, different heads of school. Okay. So bringing that all together as one. So is that part of the mandate of your role? You're Absolutely. So you you were the first of the amalgamated uh, school? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, and that was one of our big goals. Yep. And we've just had our five-year school review mm -hmm. from that time. And uh, certainly that was one of the big ticks. Mm -hmm. That was a goal. And that was a big tick. Um, also have, putting in place um, things like leadership, succession plans, um, uh, research plans that are or trajectories that are sustainable. Mm -hmm. So thinking about sustainability and about um, HR and building capability that lasts longer than the people who are immediately there is always a, the way I think mm -hmm. and thinking strategically about our best assets, which are our, our human assets. Mm -hmm. At the same time, we have focused on our programs and... Uh, Hard to believe, but when I started, we had more than 50 separate programs. Mm -hmm. So bachelor degrees, graduate diplomas, masters, uh, different programs, more than 50. And we, we're now down to just under 20, mm -hmm. which means that we have a more focused um, catalogue of our programs. They're delivered over campuses, they're consistent and they're targeted. We also have gone from a whole range of separate initial teacher education programs. So the one offered at Mount Cravat was different to the one offered at Gold Coast, for example, in primary. Mm -hmm. We now have one degree for initial teacher education and it prepares um, early childhood, middle years, primary years and secondary years teachers. Mm -hmm. It has a foundation first year and then three years of specialisation post that foundation first year offered for the first time this year okay. and uh, I think it's probably the most innovative teacher mm -hmm. education program in Australia. I'm Fantastic. going to make that claim. Okay. And, uh, and it's all on the back of um, reforming our school to mm -hmm. be sustainable but also to be responsive to the needs for teacher education at this point mm -hmm. in time. And you mentioned you know, the part of the mandate of bringing these three uh, campuses together was uh, to get some economies, I imagine, mm. in your back-of-house support services. Mm. What about from the teaching side? Are you sharing teachers or educators across the campuses? Or? Absolutely. Right. Yeah. And, of course, it's that you don't physically have to be on the mm -hmm. campus. There's, uh, we have very good delivery systems in the university, and uh, so some of our programs are entirely online. Okay. So we, we, our students are located all around Australia, for example. Um, our autism um, program is, is a classic example of that, mm -hmm. it, it, autism education. And so our students are all over Australia. Um, they're non, not necessarily teachers, although many of them are. So we have people who are nurses and doctors and mm -hmm. healthcare workers involved in that. And so that's a classic example of one program that's delivered, um, and, but it, it belongs to the school, so it's not site-specific. And uh, we also, of course, have our students who come to campus mm -hmm. and they are, tend to be connected with one campus because they're, you know, one end, yeah. end or other of the corridor in the middle. Um, and so those folk also get a really good face-to-face -face, mm -hmm. um, 
kind of experience that's well supported mm -hmm. by online resources and digital technology. And I should say for people who are not based in Brisbane, the corridor is not the physical corridor of the university, <laughs> it's a corridor between Brisbane and the Gold Coast, so you've pretty much got a campus, you know, as you say, uh, at various points along that. That's it. So before we come back to Quirley, uh, so just sitting here now, in your current role when you're looking to the future, you know, say the next five years or so, what are some of the exciting projects you've got coming up for Griffith? Mm. We, um, we're growing our PL hub, I mentioned it before, professional learning hub all the time. Mm -hmm. So we're working closely with schools and with teachers and with other wider industries around education needs. So that's a really big initiative of ours. Um, we're also introducing um, new initial teacher education programs. So we've got our new Bachelor of Education, we've got a new Master's degree. Um, this is all very much around um, high profiling teachers. So building quality, ensuring that the public has confidence in our profession. We've also introduced a couple of graduate certificates, one of them in professional learning, another in STEAM education, so it's science, technology, education, the arts. Okay. And, and mathematics and right. so that's that thing about creativity and problem solving so mm -hmm. not just STEM because we hear a lot about STEM mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but how we build that creative component in there as well mm -hmm. so our graduate certificates that are really focused on needs at the moment and then um, we've just opened our new um, digital space for learning which is our creative practices lab at the Malkovat campus okay. and so lots of innovation there where we're looking at uh, researching the way um, people work collaboratively around digital devi devices mm -hmm. of different kinds. Okay. And so we've got a really strong um, evidence-based um, set of data um, practices happening there so that we can um, provide input into the profession around what works well mm -hmm. and here's the evidence to demonstrate that. Okay. So there's some big exciting things that are that are happening and will see us forward for the next few years. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. And then uh, talking about Quilly, so mm. you were essentially approached about the role of chair. Yes. And asking a similar question to the last one. I mean, being a leader where you have direct delegatable responsibilities mm. and authorities and then moving into the role of chair where it's quite a different style of leadership and, and way of engagement uh, to what you've been used to. Mm -hmm. what, what did you find as some of the, the interesting transition uh, challenges to take that on? I think um, with the Quelly Chair, our membership of the board is, uh, is, broadly, is based, broadly based and expertise from the, the wider community as well mm -hmm. as, as our um, key um, partners around the Catholic education system, the state government system and the independent sector. And so it's about recognising the value that everybody brings to that mm -hmm. and um, working collaboratively as a team. And so I see my role as chairperson of the board to, to bring out the strengths of the board members and the Quelly um, expert team, so the, the CEO and the team who are there and how we can then optimise that work as a collective. So um, the, the chair role there um, requires, to me, a lot of listening. Mm -hmm. So I need to listen well and to hear others and then to start shape up 
shaping up my ideas uh, and my strategic sorts of insights around Quelly. And I, I think I'm still in that phase mm-hmm. of my Quelly chairperson role. Okay. And I feel really comfortable with that mm-hmm. because it's only been, you know, three or four months. Right. And so I'm, I'm still listening well and, and shaping that kind of thinking. And has that ignited a passion for you to move more towards a portfolio career in the future where you have a number of board roles and uh, other things going on? Yeah, look, I, I have enjoyed, I have to say, mm-hmm. I've enjoyed my various roles on professional association boards, which mm-hmm. are quite different. Um, so I've had those in the past to the school board role and now this board role. Um, they're each very different, you know, and you, you do need different skill mm-hmm. sets. This is probably the most, um, I guess, high profile and also the highest stakes Mm -hmm. in a sense. And it's been, um, for me, a a really personally, um, a personal opportunity for growth and to engage in in ways that I haven't before. So I'd say that at this moment in time, my answer is yes, it's very appealing. And, uh, and I'm, you know, I do actually have all of those attributes of a lifelong learner. Mm -hmm. I love learning. I love experiencing new things. And so for me, this has been a learning experience and, mm-hmm. and now I'm, I'm about to sort of move into the space where, you know, things will be a little different and there'll be a bit more kind of, um, I've been through that initial learning phase and induction phase. Fantastic. But uh, opening the doors to new possibilities is great. Great. Uh, much of the audience of this podcast are people who aspire to senior leadership roles, whether it's a CEO in a corporate environment or uh, uh, in other arenas, and certainly those also who aspire to be non-executive directors in the future. You've talked a, a lot through this conversation about different elements of your own growth and philosophies around that, but if you were to distill some of your key learnings down mm-hmm. uh, in order to pass on some of your own uh, key learnings, what would they be? I'd say that uh, a couple of things. The first is that to understand the transformative role that education has, no matter what industry you're working in, I think that, um, and I guess that's a commitment to learning, uh, whether it's formal or informal learning, and that that learning and education opens the doors to transforming you as a person, but transforming you know where you work, your business, whatever the case may be. So. Uh, I guess opening the doors to to learning all the time and have a growth mindset. We talk about a growth mindset in education. And so that is, you know, the idea that you might actually make an error. That's okay. You'll learn from that. Next time you'll do something differently. So having a growth mindset and understanding the potential that education has um, for opening those possibilities. So that's the first thing um, is to have that kind of a view of the world. I think the second thing is to um, to take a strength-based approach, mm-hmm. and that is to to look at the people around you, and to to look at the great capabilities they have and the mm-hmm. assets that they have and what they bring, and how to utilise that most effectively. Um, I think it's not competitive. It mm-hmm. should never be competitive. It should always be collaborative. And so having a sense of how do we best collaborate to achieve the goals of the mm-hmm. organisation or the industry or whatever the case may be. Um, so having that view. And then thirdly, how do I bring out the best in people so that they can achieve their strengths, mm-hmm. whether they're in a leadership role or you know a doing operational role, and constantly work in that space to, to optimise people. Because most of what we do 
is people centered mm -hmm. uh, in some way or another so i think probably my answer to you is to be you know really people centered mm -hmm. that would be my my big thing mm. but within a strategic lens so not just all about people around the goals of whatever the organization is mm -hmm. and uh, and to work in that space so um i've always whatever i've done i've tried to do to the best of my ability and so that's always underpinned the things that i've done mm -hmm. fantastic well uh, before i let you go one final question uh we've talked a lot about your work today um, and uh your professional history and so on but when you're not at work what are the sort of things you like to do to keep the petrol tank full and and you one of those vital enthusiastic uh, professionals you mentioned earlier well um, I have a daily task of 10,000 steps. Right. So every day I meet my 10,000 step goal. You're not wearing one of those little wrist things. I sure right? certainly am. It's oh, you are? On my oh, hip, my little Fitbits there. Yeah. <laughs> and so I don't go to bed at right. night until I've got my 10,000 steps. Okay. And that, that time is thinking time mm -hmm. as well as just making sure that your body is, is in a space where it's well enough to do mm -hmm. um, what you need to do. And so I think that that's, it's also about a commitment to myself, you mm -hmm. know, that I'm committed to giving myself that time because it's at least an hour of walking a day. Mm -hmm. And so building that into my life is really important. Um, I'm also a diver, so I okay. love, love diving. Scuba diving. Scuba diving. Okay. And uh, I love the beauty of mm -hmm. what's underneath the water. Mm -hmm. And so I have uh, great respect for, for our oceans. Where's and your favourite dive? Uh, my favourite dive is the Great Barrier Reef. Right. Any yeah. part of the Great Barrier Reef. Mm -hmm. It's, it's um, having dived in different locations around the world, most mm -hmm. recently in Jamaica. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and Jamaicans shouldn't listen now, but I think the Great Barrier Reef is, is just the most beautiful asset we have mm -hmm. in Australia. And uh, it is absolutely glorious. So it's, it's well worth doing. Uh -huh. And if you haven't had that experience, it also, diving is a different world. Mm -hmm. So it opens up different parts of your physical awareness mm -hmm. and uh, it, you can only do that by diving and, sure. and so I like that physical connection mm -hmm. to diving and and it's thinking time again you, you think differently when you're underwater because you're totally engaged in that moment mm -hmm. and experiencing the beauty of that so um, it's very special I lived in Cairns for four years uh -huh. and I dived a lot and it was fantastic so I absolutely completely agree with you <laughs> I moved back to Brisbane about 16 years ago I think I've been diving twice oh, yeah. there's so much more however hassle to dive out it of here sure is when it's yes. literally on your doorstep well look Donna um, thank you uh, it's been a great conversation I'm sure people who listen in will really enjoy it have a fantastic afternoon thanks Richard Well, I trust you enjoyed that conversation with Donna. I look forward to having you along for future episodes of the Arate podcast. And in the meantime, have a fantastic week. <laughs>